The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you both today. Good Good morning, morning, Scott. Scott. Don, Gary. So, you know, Don, I mean, obviously we've been in and and Gary, we've been in this environment for a long time. Um, it feels post pandemic, the tough times, but we're really starting to this isn't going away, I guess, is the point that I'm making, Don. People are, are really feeling the pinch here, aren't they? Yeah, it's starting to have an effect. These are higher interest rates, the higher inflation, you know, the, those extras in life that you normally would buy. It's like, OK, we can't afford that. We you know, our mortgage is coming up for renewal and it's now at a higher payment if you have a, a line of credit. So people are actually very they're They're so they're, they're more depressed about the economic situation they have been for quite some time. And basically, that was the goal. I hate to say it, that was the goal of raising these interest rates is because we we're spending money too much and we we're the inflation was going up. We went from a euphoric state um, you know, during the pandemic where they're throwing lots of money at the situation to now it's like, OK, we got to reel this in. So these are the effects. And it's, it's happening regardless of the situation. Um, I'm sure the upper income people are feeling it less. Um, but then I'm sure maybe millennials are feeling it more than, say, boomers. And Gary, I know you're going to talk about the attitudes on those different segments. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Don. It, it, it really is interesting to, to take a look at the, the different generations and, and contrast how people feel, what their values are, how they view the world. Uh, certainly, um, you know, as it relates to naturally financial issues, but also lifestyle issues and, 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 and the decisions that, that people make. So every single cohort, if you will, has its own distinct set of values and attitudes towards life and, uh, and particularly on the financial side. So there's actually uh, seven different generations currently, living generations now, uh, where there have been studies on. And, uh, you know, I'm going to skip over a few very quickly, but uh, certainly there's uh, the, the, the newest one, the youngest one is Generation Alpha. And that's those that uh, were born between 2013 and 2021. So we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about <laughs> the financial aspects there. I think that's pretty self-explanatory and that's called mom and dad. <laughs> um, you know, then we, you know, we, we have uh, Gen Z. So Gen Z. Uh, a, a younger cohort born between 97 and 2012. So that looks at the, the 10 to 25 year olds. So certainly as people you know, get into their early 20s, uh, that group is faced with its own set of, of uh, unique issues as well. Uh, and then we get into Gen Y, so the millennials, and there's been lots written and lots talked about. And uh, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of parents who are perhaps in their late 40s, 50s, and into their 60s have had different comments about the millennials uh, as, as that relates to, to different issues over time. So that would be ages 26 to 41. And, and that group, uh, that cohort born in 1981 through to 1996. The next, the next group is Generation X. And we really don't read as much about Generation X. Uh, and those would be people between 42 and 56. And uh, so again, born between 1966 and 1980. 
and baby boomers, which there's all kinds of, of uh, things written and talked about. And, and, you know, we, we talked for years about that, that baby boomer bubble sort of working its way through uh, chronologically through the, the various age groups and so on. And that's ages roughly 57 to 76, born in 46 to 1965. And there's, there's two others, which I'm not going to talk about today, but there's the interwar generation. So those would be individuals born between 1928 and 1945. And then, of course, there's the, quote, you know, the, the greatest generation, those born prior to 1928. And did, so, they, self, did they call themselves this? Is this no, uh, their own no, term? Or? No, I think that was a, that was a respectful label that, uh, that was attached uh, for, you know, a variety of reasons. So <laughs> the, uh, when we look at the workforce, so I think, I think that's a good place to start as we, as we break this down. So the workforce uh, age cohort has, uh, the demographic has undergone a major shift resulting now in millennials making up the largest sector of the workforce. So the millennials now are at 33% Gen Xers. So that's the age group a little older, uh, 30% baby boomers now only 20%. And Gen Z's of course, a, a rather nominal representation uh, it's in the teens. Well, no wonder things are so crappy at work then. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I was surprised when I did read that. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> that I know you are, but I, I was surprised that the boomers actually were, uh, were only 20%. Well, a lot of them are retiring now. And a lot uh, of them are retiring, but still, you know, a lot of them have gone back to work in, in some, you know, we've talked about that before in the sure. show, gone back to work in, in a different capacity than, than what they were used to. So let's start with the baby boomer cohort. So again, age 57 to 76. So it's, it's the first time, and I mentioned uh, in the workforce, they're down at 20%, but it's the first time that boomers make up less than one quarter of the Canadian population. Remember for years, guys, we would, we would read and hear that, that it was about a third Mm -hmm. You know, for, for a long period of time, uh, a third of the population. And that was that, you know, that, that bubble sort of that was working its way through. So now, now it's under 25% for obvious reason, reasons as, as people are aging. So boomers have been labeled as savers overall when it comes to, to finances. Uh, the maritime problem, uh, provinces actually have the highest percentage of boomers in the country. Hmm. And, and I, when I read that, I wasn't overly surprised. Um, you know, a lot of people, especially in recent years, a lot of people have been relocating as they, after they've retired, relocating down to the maritime provinces. So uh, surveys indicate that boomers are generally optimistic about their financial futures. Uh, and if there's any concerns really at all, lingering concerns, it's obviously some health uh, uh, and in some cases, some financial challenges. So what they focus on, what they tend, what's important is their social well-being. Financial security is right near the top of the list, uh, along with health. Independence is also important. And 63% um, of the survey that was done were felt positive about aging. Um, and then when we looked at people over 80 who are beyond the, the boomer generation, uh, they even had a more positive attitude about most aspects of, of living of aging, I should say, sorry. So the majority of, of boomers that were, were surveys ind indicated that, that they had strong social networks. So 70%, 60% said they were socially engaged. 72% said they had adequate financial resources. And most of those people were people that dealt with a financial advisor. 
on a regular basis. They were able to access the healthcare and community resources that they needed, 68% said that, and they had confidence that they would be able to uh, age in their own homes. And on the flip side, the, the percentages were, were there, but they were rather low, so under 25% of the people who had concern, uh, concerns about, about the things that I, I just went through. And this was all based on a, uh, the Canadian National Institute on Aging, the, uh, the surveys that were done. So what's important to baby boomers in, from a lifestyle standpoint, very quickly, dinners, concerts, vacations, things like that, where they, where they feel they have the funds, traveling is, is, uh, is something that was you know, at, the, at the top of the list. Well, being a boomer here, Gary, I would go check, 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 check. So yeah, I agree with all of those things. How about you, Scott? I would agree, absolutely. Yeah, I may even add a couple more, but yes, that's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there's always more, right? We, it's okay to be greedy when we... Uh, when we're talking about what we want for ourselves. So, um, and, and then we move into the, the Gen X cohort. So 42 to, to 56. Um, this group basically, if in terms of how it's categorized is, is relatively affluent, uh, somewhat traditional, uh, preference for, uh, or, or eager to learn new technology, uh, that type of thing, um, tend to graduate from post-secondary education have a higher than average income and close to 25%. This is interesting. Close to 25% were not born in Canada hmm. of, that, of that age group, 42 to 56. Um, laser focused on, on getting or having the job that met their objectives, paying off student debt and entering the real estate market. And really a focus uh, living to work for at least four stages of their, of their, uh, their cohort. It was really important. The, the, what they did for a living was really important to them. Uh, and becoming more financially literate was critical. Uh, they took on higher levels of debt over time. And when you think about it in that age range, uh, kids' education, uh, in some cases, people remortgaging or buying a secondary property, buying the cottage, that type of thing. Um, and uh, they were very values-based and... Um, in increasingly in senior positions in today's corporations and organizations, that age group from 42 to 56. And when you think back a, a, a couple decades ago, it was the sort of the, the profile of people that had very senior positions in corporations and organizations were older. So we see, we see a real shift there. Now the millennials 26 to 41 are the spenders or they have a propensity to spend. And, and for the first time now, uh, currently, millennials outnumber boomers in the six largest Canadian urban centers. And mm -hmm. those are pretty easy to identify. Uh, the millennial cohort is the fastest growing generation, greatly due to immigration. So immigration has, because immigration has been increasing over, over the years, we know that. And one in three people age 15 to 64 are millennials. So that wow. um, often considered less focused than, than Gen X cohorts uh, tend not to prioritize their careers as much, feeling that they'll, they'll never be able to afford what their parents uh, have acquired over time. So more of a work to live, they're working to live mentality. Um, they don't have the same desire to, to purchase a home for, for, 
you know, some of the obvious reasons, the, the, the prices, and, and it's just not a, something that they, they feel they want to get into because they, they don't envision having a 30 year or 25 year commitment like that. Hmm. So there's a, there's a lot of differences, um, you know, in the, in the millennial group compared to the, to the older sectors. And, you know, Don, we see this with, with people that we work with, we see, you know, we may have been working with a, with a couple for, for 20 years and time goes by and their, their children become adults. Right. Uh, they're encouraged to become clients. And we see that they have a, a very different mindset, a very different mentality in terms of what they want, what's important. Um, sometimes having difficulty with the concept of paying for advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Right? <laughs> and, and it's interesting, the millennials in general are, you know, other than the immigrants, are are our kids are the boomers kids yeah and you know as we were we lived through some affluent years there and uh you know possibly they are disciples of the environment that we created for them so um yeah if there's any sometimes we have to point the blame on us that they may not be wanting to save money because we've been taking them on some cool trips and different experiences and and we've molded this kind of attitude for a certain extent yeah, it's been cited in a lot of publications that millennials are counting on that inheritance. That's sort of part of their retirement plan. It's it's fascinating. That's a fascinating segment in how, um, you know, we were sort of taught or raised to plan and what have you and how this could change things really moving forward. That's that's a fascinating angle. We are plas- uh, we are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at DonFox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take Take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. All right, Don, you're going to talk about the big picture, but which which big picture are we talking about here? <laughs> <laughs> the big investment picture. And we get this every year. So it's, it's a very cool graph and we're more than happy to... Uh, send an e-version of this, um, a soft copy over to any of the listeners if you just want to send us a note. It goes over everything from 1935 all the way to 2022. And it will talk about, you know, what was the inflation? Who were the presidents of the United States? Who were the prime ministers of Canada? And what events took place? Um, you were talking about boomers. Well, the baby boom which were not called boomers back then, uh, they, that started in 1946, according to this. Uh, around the Cold War started at the same time, and the Korean War was soon after. Uh, World War II was in there. You know, diff- you know it, it's kind of interesting. Business Week said it's a death of equities, and that was in 1979. Well, that was just before the market went for a massive bull run, okay? And Time Magazine came out in 19. 19- 89 with buy stocks no way that was the front page of their their magazine and again great opportunity to be buying because it was a massive bull run now bull 
again, for the listeners, that's a, an up market and a bear is a down market, basically. So it has 9-11, has all the kind of events that take place. And this is why we, I'm, I'm bringing this up because we're, we're always talking about what events, you know, what about, say, the, you know, the Russian war or your, or the invasion, if you will. Um, what about the inflation rates? How is that affecting? What about the interest rates? What about our dollar? You know, and there's so many different aspects. In fact, the dollar is also in here. Our dollar peaked at a, a dollar nine going back to 2007, eight. Well, its worst case was it was a 62 cent dollar at one time. And wow. that was in 2003. And that was actually, there was talk of at that time, should we just convert our dollar to the US dollar back in mm -hmm. 2003? Well, the next thing is we're super strong and our dollars more, worth more than theirs. That is not the norm. Um, but it has happened a, a number of times over the last, and this goes back to 1930, um, 1935 uh, rather. So, you know, at 65 and another 20 some odd. So, you know, we're, we're talking about almost 90 years here. So it's, it's a lot of span. Now, the one thing I wanted to do, it also talks about bulls and bear markets and so forth, but it's kind of interesting because over the long haul and the longer you go, the better indicator of what the performance will be. The inflation rate for that whole period of time has averaged 3.5%. Now, I know government, you know, their governments are trying to get our inflation rate back down to two, ideally um, three. Well, it's actually been three and a half for this 80 some odd year period of time. Um, and so the treasury bill rates return, if you've just locked your money in T-bills, have been 4.2%. So not a, a great increase. Uh, bonds have averaged 5.7, okay? And that's where you lock your money in 10-year government Canada bonds. And then you get into the stock markets. Uh, Canadian stocks have averaged 9.5%. And this is that average I was telling you about. See, that's a 6% real rate of return, meaning this is the amount of return over inflation over this 80-some-odd-year period of time. And that has kind of been the norm. So if we get way above that, we will likely go back towards that again. We, we, we do revert back to the mean. We end up at the average. It is not different this time. And I know when the markets were screaming up, people say, well, it's different this time. It isn't. We end up with a down market later. We'll end up averaging back to the 6% above inflation. And U.S. stocks have averaged a little bit better. They've averaged 11.4% over, over all this period of time. And, and then we have an aggressive portfolio. And that basically has got Canadian 40%, US at 25% of the portfolio, US small cap 10%, in international stocks at 25. So you're diversifying. Uh, you know, it's actually inter interesting. The more you diversify, how, how it straightens this lineup, there's always risk. And so it's averaged 10.5% by having an overall portfolio. Gary? Yeah, Don, that just, uh, you know, sparked a thought. Uh, in terms of people, some people who are flocking to GICs right now after the year that we've had, and and the GIC rates right now are not even where inflation is. To your point, yeah, and GICs, and I'll, I'll get to that. And taking that year out of the market, or even six months out of the market after the market's had a bad year, is absolutely the worst thing you can do. And so, just about the whole idea, this kind of spurred me on because I, I read last week about how the average. Hamilton home in February had gone up. Average house went up about $50,000 from $750,000 to $800,000 last, last month. And I said, okay, 
is that aver average is very misleading at times. What if there was a few homes that sold at say five or 10 million? It can skew the average. Did it really go up? I'd really love to see the medium. And that's the middle, the middle number of all the homes sold. How much did the median go up? And that way it takes out the, the outliers and doesn't have a skew. So, well, you know, if you look at, say, the Royal Bank, the average salary at the Royal Bank might be $100,000. Well, the median might only be 50 because you got some CEOs making $10 million and he skews the average that much. So you'll see this quite often in business. Now, housing prices, I'm, my own opinion is that I think some people are finally saying, I got to sell my house regardless. And you're starting to see some of the higher end houses being sold finally because they sat on the sidelines because they thought the markets may, you know, may recover. So the same happens with stocks or investments. So last year, the same time last year, the average return for the Canadian stock market was 25% for 2021. For 22, it was minus six. The U.S. stock market was 28% 21. For the, the last year, it was minus 12. The international market was 8%. Last year was minus 8. Sorry, it was 10% up, and now it's minus 8. Bonds were negative 5%. So these are Government of Canada bonds, super safe. Negative 5% in 21, negative 13% last year. Like worse than all the stock markets. And these are Canadian bonds. T-bills. Um, only did 0.1%, and they actually, as you know, interest rates were rising, so they averaged 2.4 last year. Inflation it was 4.9, and it was 6.2 in 22. So you look at all this data and you say, wow, that's a lot of fluctuations. How can that turn? So people often show our clients, or and I find it very misleading, because I'd rather say, tell clients, the, the stock market will generally average 6% above inflation, because that is the 100-year average. Well, if you get a performance blip, for example, the last five years, if you looked at this last year, this big picture a year ago, you would have seen the Canadian average was 10% and inflation was, was two. So it's about 8% above inflation. The US stock market a year ago, if we were talking, was 17% average return for five years. Like absolutely amazing return. Inflation, again, is only 2%. So you're saying, well, oh, that's 15% real rate of return. That's quite good. And that's a five-year period. How much could it change? Well, actually, it can change a lot because this year, the five-year returns down to 11. It dropped by 6% because of one bad year. Well, what about the 10-year? 10-year must really tell the whole story. And this is the problem with short averages. The 10-year return for Canada last year was 9%. Now it's 8 So not much different. The U.S., it was 19%, now it's 16. And uh, international bond, international was 11 down to 9. So you're starting to see it's getting closer, but still, it's, it still has some variance, even though it's a 10-year period of time. One bad year can really upset things. So when you get down to the 50-year averages or the 25-year averages, you don't see much change at all. And at the end of the day, you got to just be careful. You, you, you look at the longer term, you look at these big pictures and you say, okay, what has it done for the last 50 years? That is the norm. It really takes all those outliers out and we're going to have those negative years. So an aggressive portfolio, uh, generally speaking, is a mix of many of the stock markets, as I just mentioned to you. A uh, moderate one would have 40% bonds. So moderate is your, your classic portfolio for pensions. 
where you have 40% in bonds and 60% in stocks. And 30% would be in, in uh, Canada, 15% in US and 15% international. So moderate must have done pretty good last year because you know it's so volatile in the stock market. Weirdly enough, moderate was minus 10% last year. Bonds, as we talked about, bonds had a, a negative year and stocks had a negative year. In fact, bonds with interest rates rising so much, it had such an impact on pensions, on everybody's holdings. In fact, there was nowhere to hide. So we have this uh, chart and it's called Why Diversify? And Franklin Templeton creates this chart every year. And last year, the best performing area in the whole market was minus 5.84. That was the Canadian stock market. Okay. So there was nowhere to hide. You normally you'd say, okay, well, with the, if stocks do poorly, the bonds do well. And again, didn't happen last year. US bonds were negative seven. Global bonds were minus 10. And Canadian bonds were minus, almost minus 12. So trying to be safe did not work last year. In fact, the, the, the only place that made money was cash, which is rare. And, um, and, and that's about it, really. Cash, I, I guess commercial real estate did okay last year too, but it had done really poorly during the pandemic. And if I go back all the way to 2008, every time you saw a bad year in the stock market, you had a great year in the bond market. And, and a good example was 2008 was the, uh, the financial crisis. And the US stock market was minus 29%. Canadian stock market was minus 33 uh, emerging markets were minus 41. Well, what were the top performing areas that, that year? U.S. bonds at 31%. Um, global bonds at 31% also. And Canadian bonds did 6%. So that's the normal seesaw between bonds and stocks. You have one, they'll pick up the other. This time, there was nobody picking up the other one. <laughs> They're both doing poorly. And so this is why we diversify. And you always have to look long term because otherwise you'll drive yourself crazy. And it is so important to have a professional running your portfolio because if you miss the boat, as, as Gary mentioned, you'll miss out in a, on a lot of return. In fact, if you, when any time, um, the, the next 12 months after the end of a bear market, and let's assume the bear market uh, ended at the end of last year, I hope so anyway, but let's just assume it was. The following 12 months after a bear market, a fully invested stock portfolio had an average return of 37%. Okay, so any of those people that say, you know what, I've had enough, I want it in a one-year GIC that you can get 5% right now, you could be missing out on a massive opportunity. You know, the old adage, Don, I'm reminded of as you're talking is, you know, it's time in the market, not trying to time the market. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of people were taken back in the in the past year with what was happening on the the fixed income the bond side because it doesn't happen very often you know and, and uh interest rates don't rise as quickly and so aggressively as they did in in that that period of time historically but uh yeah time in the market is really what we, we try and promote yeah time in the market when you have the money you have to invest in just long term you'll get a decent rate of return and at the end of the day it's how are you doing above inflation so i i took a look at my own kind of situation, born in 1963, okay? So if you put $1,000 in 1963, it would be $2,600 if it was in T-bills. So it really didn't grow much. 
In long-term bonds, you, your thousand would have grown to 6,200. In international stocks, it'd be worth 16,000. Canadian stocks would be 42,000. And US stocks would be 133,000. Now, who's to say we knew which one was going to do the best? So let's say we just split it amongst a new aggressive portfolio. Your thousand dollars would have grown to, to uh, 71,000. It sounds great, but you have to remember that thousand dollars would have grown to about uh, 10,000 just on inflation alone. So to put it in perspective, I thought, okay, what exactly did you buy for a buck in 1963? 60 years ago, what could you buy for a buck? And weirdly enough, you could buy three cans of planter peanuts, cocktail peanuts, three of those cans for a buck. Those same cans right now cost $10. For this exact same. You could also buy three cans of chicken of the sea tuna, okay, back in 1963 for a buck. Those same three cans cost $11.50. So another way of looking at this, what if you simply took your dollar and you stuck it in a bank account that's currently earning zero and you say it's safe, you're not making any money. Right now, you pull it out 60 years later, you can buy one third of a can of peanuts. Okay. And it's literally, you get peanuts for that dollar now, as we all know. It's, it's brutal. So how do you put your money in T-bills over that time? You could buy five cans of peanuts. Now, this is if you never had to pay any income tax on the interest, which we know is wrong. So instead of buying three cans for a dollar, you invest in T-bills thinking you're being safe. Well, you only can buy five cans after 60 years. Well, what if you put it in, into an aggressive portfolio, which is owning the shares of companies throughout Canada, US, and, and Europe? You can now buy 150 cans of peanuts. And that ain't peanuts here, folks. Okay, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of cans. So the whole point is investing is is key long-term, as Gary mentions, time the market and looking at the big picture. This all comes into play because we really want people to have a, a better lifestyle over the long run, which means you don't have inflation eroding it every year. And it slowly does. And those people that are buying, as you mentioned, GICs at 5% with inflation are currently at six and having to pay tax on that 5%, you actually can buy less stuff next year. You can think of the big picture and you'll be in great shape. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. 
this is something that we've talked about on this show and, and mine quite a bit. And for some reason, even post pandemic, it's increasing uh, and especially around tax time. And, and you've got a segment here on tax time scams. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I have uh, I have certainly had clients over the years that have been victims of of such things. And Don, I, I, I suppose you've experienced that, too, I, I would think. Oh, absolutely. 30, 36, 37 years. Yes. So, you know, and but it um, certainly the frequency of this is 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 much greater in, in today's world for, for a lot of reasons. So um, let's let's look at some scenarios here. So basically, you know, the phone rings and, and we're, we're talking primarily about people who who are aging because that is that is where the uh, the culprits you know target uh, as much as they can so the phone rings you pick it up and the caller identifies him or herself as being from the government i'm calling from canada revenue agency etc i'm contacting you on a problem with your taxes so your heart starts to race you're you're 75 80 85 years old and you begin to wonder what could possibly be wrong what what did you do and, and what are the ramifications? And often these calls are early enough in the morning where people are not into their day yet. And so, you know, you, you picture investigations, fines, and, and all, all sorts of trouble. And all those thoughts begin to, to spin through your head while you're trying to listen at the same time to what's being said. So when you start to ask questions, the caller becomes aggressive. And for those, those listeners that, that have experienced anything like this, they know exactly what, what we're referring to here. And they threaten serious consequences, police, criminal charges, possible jail time, a lot of extreme things. If you don't provide specific information and make whatever outstanding quote unquote payment right away, that's required. So that's called the telephone phishing scam, P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G. And, and those scams are, are all too common during tax preparation season, which is what we are in the midst of right now. And the, the more sophisticated the telephone scammer might, for more sophisticated ones, for example, they might, uh, they might even have a, a telephone call display ID that looks official. And so, you know, so people need to be very careful. And, and it's better to, to be, you know, to have the antenna up uh, and challenge such things than to feel that you're obligated to go along. Um, sometimes you, you, you know, people are contacted through a very official looking email message that demands personal information or perhaps a payment. And that's, a, that's also a, a phishing scam. And bogus requests can also be sent through regular mail. And Don, we, you know, through our, our daily work, uh, you know, we are constantly reminded uh, that we need to be very careful when we're receiving emails and yeah, identify absolutely. what are legitimate or not. And, and it's interesting. Most times the um, CRA will not be emailing you things. And if they do, you can always refer to your CRA website and find out exactly what, if it is legit or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good point. So, so these scammers use the pretext of a, of a government investigation to try and get this information from you. And, and that puts you at risk. Anybody who's experienced uh, theft of their identity will tell you that it is a long and horrific process to try and get that remedied. Um, and, and, you know, bank accounts, credit cards, there's all sorts of, of issues that, that can be impacted there. 
Um, sometimes the scammers can even use a, a positive approach where they're asking for personal information because they claim that you qualify for a tax refund. I've received emails like that before too, and uh, or some sort of special benefit. And you know, as Don said, uh, you know, government uh, communications will never be via text or uh, or Facebook or WhatsApp or anything, any of those those types of platforms. So it's really important to understand that and do not uh, provide any personal information uh, when you receive any sort of contact like this. Um, so there's there, so just in summary, then there's a, there's a couple things. So what should we be protecting? Uh, protect your personal information, uh, uh, keep it private, including pins, uh, user IDs, passwords, and access codes. Never provide personal or financial access information on the phone through the internet or by email. Shed or destroy or keep safe all documents that include any of your private and financial, especially your financial information, including your name and address. Your SIN number is very important. Now, Don, we, as you know, we ask for, we require a SIN number when we set up accounts. And that's that's because mm -hmm. it's a legality. We are required to do that. Sometimes we run into situations where people are, well, why do I have to give you my SIN number? Well, there's very specific reasons for that. So um, it's really important that that people do not give their SIN numbers out for such random approaches as the, the kind that we're talking about. Yeah, in our case, we the government needs to know if you're earning interest or an RSP contribution right. or a TFSA. Absolutely, we, that's required. But yeah, be so careful on the phone with this stuff because they're they're literally phishing. They're looking for this information and building a stronger case against you once you once they have this information. Right, right, and and it it becomes very convoluted. Right, that's the other problem. I mean. You, when you when you provide any sort of information at all, uh, that typically leads to panic, and you're, you you it's harder for a person to really control what information they're sharing uh, beyond that and that type of thing. And and these people that are behind this, it's it's very sophisticated, it's very well oh, yeah. planned, and they do it because it works. Well, if the government's asking for your social insurance number. That's a, that's a bell should go off there because they have that already. Right. Okay. And right. they don't take credit cards over the phone and they don't. So yes, it, it's always buyer beware when it comes to any of these calls. Yes, and you know, sure. uh, you were talking about it being very sophisticated. It's organized crime. It's big it business crime. So uh, it, we, we do many stories on this over the course of the years. And right. um, it, it, there's so many that don't even report it. They're just so yes. embarrassed that they've been taken that they yes. don't even report it. And um, it, it is something that is really increasing. All right. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Don Fox, and Gary Hogan here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. All right, we're talking uh, about saving tax through income splitting uh, this time of the year. Yes, absolutely. And, and just, uh, you know, going back here, some people, some listeners might be thinking, okay, what does, um, you know, these tax scams have to do with financial planning or all having no millennials versus boomers have to do with financial planning? The key is 
it's nice to have a third party to call and understand your situation. And I've had people, Gary, and you probably have too. I had a client say, I have the RCMP apparently are going to be coming to my house because of this tax scam, because of this tax situation I'm in. I said, do not even think they're coming. Okay, do not give them information. But again, it was a older lady on her own. And it's nice to have that person that they can rely on. So I get the phone call and says, you know, they just need to talk to somebody. So, and again, when we're dealing with boomers or millennials, it's, it's again, trying to understand what's important to them. And so that we have a good idea and that all part, that's all part of the financial plan. So yes, this all does come together and a true financial planning, real financial planning involves all this. It's not just about, okay, let's see what, if we can earn a little, an extra half percent on your investments. That is part of it, but it's the big picture. And so income splitting is part of this too. And it's interesting, um, Canada Pension Plan is, I would say is one of the most, is probably the most, is the area that is used the least for income splitting. Because a lot of people just assume, well, my accountant can income split, which they can with all the other pensions. So when you're once, you're over 65, uh, at least one spouse is over 65, you can then split your pension income with the other spouse. And if it's a defined benefit plan, you can split it before you're 65. Well, CPP does not work that way. You have to apply for the split. You have to go to Service Canada and get this done. So it is an actual paper, your actual paper transaction where the checks actually get split. The other type of income splitting is pension splitting, where it's done on the tax return. And I guess the problem I have with this, and it doesn't happen often, but there are some people that the you know, husband does his tax return separately than the, than the wife. And they keep their taxes separate. And, I, I, and quite often in these cases, that was fine until you got to age 65 or when you could start income splitting. But now that you're older, now that you hit this mark, you need to have share this information. Otherwise, you're seriously, you're just giving money to the government. And I've seen cases where splitting pension can literally save $10,000 a year. Um, it, can, it can make sure that you're, you're getting your all your old age security because you're not over that threshold and it saves that whole old age security clawback. So income splitting is extremely important. Um, making a spousal loan. Now this was an idea that it was great when the interest rates were lower. Interest rates were held at 1% for a prescribed loan to your spouse. So if you had say a, a million dollars, you could lend say 500,000 to your spouse and he or she can invest that 500,000. They have to pay you 1% interest. And so as long as they're making over 1%, it probably made sense. You can make some money on this. Well, now the prescribed rate as of this year is now 4%. And so that whole loan scenario is less advantageous than before. Now, all those old loans are grandfathered. The rate does not go up. So if you've got a 1% loan, you can hold that forever. Now, if it does make sense, even at these 4% rates, um, and you would have to get high single digit returns now to make that make sense for doing a spousal loan, it would also lock in that rate forever. So what you need to do is end up paying off the loan if the interest rates dropped and then restart the loan and have a paper trail. So at the end of the day, yeah, it's probably not as good as it used to be. And it get down, definitely is not as good as it used to be. I personally would wait on the spousal loan until rates were to come down again. However, there's one other way is lending the second generation income. So if you lent your spouse $500,000, there's something called attribution rules 
where all the interest on that money is taxed back to you. So if you made 4% on $500,000, that is $20,000 of interest. And that all comes right back to you. You can't get away from just lending your, your, money, your spouse some money or, or even putting it in her, his or her name. On the other hand, though, that $20,000 of interest, that becomes theirs. And it's called the one plus one rule where you can actually take that 20,000 and they can now invest that money. And so if it earns 5%, that $20,000 now it's uh, $500 of interest. And that $500 is, is back, it doesn't, is not attributed back to you. So it's a great way, it takes a while for this to work, but over the years, this can make a, a significant difference. Um, contributing to a spousal RSP is also a great way to income split because when your spouse starts to pull those funds out, they're taxed to him or her. And giving, adult, giving assets to an adult child, there's no attribution rules there. So as long as they're over 18, it's not a loan. They can invest those funds. And if, if it makes sense to do so, this again, this is a great conversation I have with your financial planner, then they can accumulate money there. And they can also top up the tax-free savings accounts. And one other way, if you do give money to a minor uh, child, all the dividend and interest is attributed back to you, but the growth is not. So when they do cash that in, the growth is tax taxable to the minor, or if they wait till they're 18, a tax to the adult. So lots of ways to income split, they all make a difference. So it's not one way, but you know what, death, <laughs> death by a thousand paper cuts is the way I look at this. If we can do all these things, it will make a big difference to your bottom line. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Another award-winning show, gentlemen. Thanks so much for taking the time. We'll chat next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.